A quick note on language and disability, honestly. This show is about personal experience. It's important to allow people to define their experience in their own way. This means they may use language that you are uncomfortable with to describe their experiences. Please respect the language that is used and listen with an open mind. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Disability Honestly. I'm your host, Mason Taylor. This week's episode is focusing on mental illness. If that's a topic you find triggering or difficult to listen to, please feel free not to listen to this episode. My mental illness has been diagnosed several different ways throughout my life. The same symptoms have been called several different disorders, but the ones that I feel the most or feel like the most correct diagnosis is major depression and generalized anxiety with panic attacks. My diagnoses are pretty quote-unquote typical diagnoses of mental illness, meaning you probably know what they are, you probably even have one of them because depression and anxiety are the most frequently diagnosed mental illnesses. But I want to use this time to talk about my personal experience, things like when I started feeling symptoms, what the symptoms look like in me because everyone's look different, and how I feel like depression and anxiety impact my daily functioning. I don't remember feeling symptoms of depression at age 8, but my parents put me into therapy then, so I must have been showing something externally to them that they flagged as mental illness. My first depressive episode started when I was 13, and that's roughly the 7th grade, I think. And that's the first time I think I realized I was actually functioning with more darkness than the rest of the world. Not the whole world, but than your typical 13-year-old. And around then was also when I kind of started to figure out I was queer. So I thought, maybe this is being queer. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe you're just miserable always. Which you're not. Or you shouldn't be. If you are, please get some help. And so pretty much from 8th grade through high school. So 8th grade through 12th grade, I kind of just white-knuckled it. And, like, I saw therapists, but I didn't really talk to the therapists, which, turns out, isn't that helpful. Just sitting in a room when you, like, make up about what's going on in your life and how great it is, not as helpful as you'd think, at least as I thought it would be. I don't think I truly, like, started dealing with my depression until I was in college, But before that, a lot of things happened that made my depression a much more serious thing than it could have been had I been treating it properly from the beginning. In high school, I think, I'm in the same ninth grade, I don't really, dates are hard, so I'm just kind of winging it on those, but that was when I started struggling with self-harm, ninth grade. So I was 14, 15, 
like for sure knew I was not straight. Didn't know what else was happening, but like I definitely ruled that one out in ninth grade. And I was holding that as a secret because that's what you do. At least that's what I thought you were supposed to do in the Midwest. That's semi-conservative. Not super, but just... I thought that was what I was supposed to do. thought I was supposed to not tell anyone until college, and then my whole life would change, and everything would be fantastic. Turns out, not how that works. But in high school, as I was saying... I started to struggle with self-harm and a lot of things that happened in high school also didn't help with that. Like I found a fundamentalist church that doesn't like to be called a fundamentalist church. They prefer non-denominational Christian faith, which is just the weirdest phrase, but a fundamentalist church, I'm going to call them because their views are much more fundamentalist than truly what I've experienced at other non-denominational churches and when I ended up there in I think ninth grade maybe 10th grade that was I don't really know um I ended up there because somebody invited me to the youth group and I thought she was cute and I was like cool I can hang out with a cute girl it'll be fun so I went and then it was fun enough that I kept going But eventually, I started talking to the adults, like the leaders, who were, by the way, like the age I am now, which is insane. So I started talking to them about the fact that I was queer and just trying to, like, I don't know, I thought I was going to be the one to open their brains and, like, suddenly they'd be cool with it. Don't ask me why 15-year-old Mason thought they had that much power in the world, but I truly did. But, of course, you know, you're not going to change someone's whole belief system with just one person. That's not how that works. And, of course, I'm not going to change, like, the whole structure of faith in that church by being queer. Not going to happen. But what did happen was a real fun time in this online conversion therapy program that was just so weird it's called setting captives free and it was like this online workbook where you'd like read bible verses and then write about them and like write about why you shouldn't be queer and like obviously that did quite a number on me mentally because it's such a weird thing so I was like consistently getting worse mentally from it you know self-harming more often and falling into other things that we'll get into later as well um but I thought if I just finish this 30-day system that promised me I wouldn't be queer anymore then everything will be great and my depression will go away and everything will be fantastic shocker it didn't do that I just kept getting worse and worse and the more I read of this course like the worse I felt about myself as a person because they kept talking about being queer as a like character flaw I guess and like a thing that I was doing wrong or like the youth pastor used to always say uh your chooser is broken as in like the part of you that chooses who you're interested in is broken because you know 
it's a choice to act on sexuality and blah 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 but he kept saying like if you just pray enough maybe you'll be straight or maybe you'll just have the strength to like not be straight but also like not fall in love ever fundamentalist christianity y'all so weird we don't have time in this episode to truly talk about my whole experience in conversion therapy but i think it's important to note that that played a major role in me as a person i think and just also like my mental health problems got significantly worse once that started happening so that's that that was uh 10th and 11th grade i think was when i was in the conversion therapy um we're gonna go with that at least i don't know like i said making updates because i can't remember but that i think is a really important like bullet point of my mental health journey is the fact that i feel like things like really took a turn for the worst after i started this program and started to like try to change myself for the church that's when I feel like things got like real messy and real bad and we'll be back with more disability honestly after a quick word from our sponsors this week's episode of disability honestly is brought to you by anchor anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's free and so simple to use because of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can even add music or sound effects simply. Anchor even distributes your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and many more listening apps. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now, back to the show. So, like I said, I think conversion therapy played a huge role in why I started struggling so severely with my mental health. Because once you start thinking that your sexuality is bad and wrong, it doesn't stop there. It becomes everything about you. Because you didn't choose your sexuality, so you didn't choose any of your other personality traits. Or, being gay is not a personality trait, y'all. You guys know this, you're with it. Um, But, since you didn't choose a lot of other aspects of your personhood, you start to question all of that. And, like, think you're the problem. Because of course it's not like systemic homophobia. No, that couldn't possibly be the issue. It's obviously you personally are the significant problem and should just change yourself. So once I was decided that I was going to pray myself straight, things went downhill and they went downhill fast. Because, first of all, I was going to this church voluntarily because the cute girl still was going. So, like, my parents didn't go. I think that's an important factor. This was all, like, self-decided. It wasn't forced by my parents, which has made it a lot harder to deal with, I guess, because you can't just be like, oh, my parents are awful and made me do this. It's like, they didn't even know. To this day, I don't know if they know. So, that's cool. But 
it's when it's your own decision, I think it's harder to process and like heal from or whatever. Because it's just you saying that you're terrible and wrong and deciding that like if you pray hard enough you can fix this. But yeah. So that's when things really started to just hardcore go downhill. Like so fast. It was insane. Um that's when I really like truly fell into self harm. Like constantly and that was something that like was really hard to shake and I definitely struggled with all the way through college pretty much I'm gonna say yeah through college it was something that would pop up if I was super stressed out or super isolated or really if I was overwhelmed it became an option And I finally had a couple friends that were like, Mason, what the heck? Stop. And were the right combination of, like, kind and just, like, fed up with me and my self-destructive behaviors that it finally clicked and I finally stopped. So that is how that went. I don't want to go into that section of my mental illness too much because it's dark and I don't really know how that is going to be helpful at all. Like, I just think that could just trigger people. I don't really think that details are needed in that section. So, that's my thought on self-harm and my history with it in, like, a minute. One of the things I struggled with mostly in college was an eating disorder. I don't talk about this a lot, so this is like a hard segment to record, but we're going to do it. Basically, some point in, I think, sophomore years when I started to get like bad, I just decided that I could function better and I'd be less depressed if I didn't eat. Don't really understand where that thought process came from, even now, years later. And so I often, like, went a while without eating. It was, like, the whole day. But, like, consistently and intentionally. I do have friends who in college, you know, would be so stressed out they'd forget to eat all day or something that's not like what this was this was consistent and intentional and at the same time I was also struggling with binge eating so there was really no normal relationship to food at this point I was like binging on super high sugar foods you know so I'd feel happy for three seconds or just not eating anything I survived soft. I don't know how I survived sophomore year because it was mostly just coffee and chocolate. That was it. And I was miserable because of course. But I was still not really dealing with my mental illnesses. I was going to a counselor 
was very bad and wasn't really helping me with the things I asked for help on. Instead, she would talk about other things in my life that didn't feel like major issues. But I also wasn't necessarily ready to do the work, so I wasn't going to, like, complain. It's like, if I could go there for a half hour every week and just, like, talk about how great my friendships were, that was cool, even though that wasn't the problem, and it wasn't even really all that true. But since I wasn't really in a headspace where I was ready to work and ready to make any sort of progress towards recovery of any kind, I would go and just pretend things were fine because I thought maybe at some point if I did that for long enough, things would be fine, which is not how it works. Please get help if you're thinking, oh, I can just be miserable for years and then it'll be over. No, it doesn't work that way. Get some help. Call a counselor. I'm going to put links in the episode description to help you find therapy friends therapy is good junior and senior year of college are a weird blurred together thing so i'm going to talk about both of them at once because the situations were pretty similar so i was living in an apartment which means you have to go get your own groceries and you can't just you know eat in the dining halls whenever you want and always have food available which was good for like my binging tendencies but was also awful for my anorexic tendencies because I wasn't really super good friends with my roommates at any point so it wasn't like they were paying attention to if I was eating and like people are busy in college people don't notice like you live on your schedule they live on their schedules and very rarely do they cross so I was just not eating and no one really knew or noticed and so then I was miserable and I'd isolate because I was so anxious that I couldn't deal with the world. Junior year was also when I changed my major to an English degree after having failed a class sophomore year because I couldn't get myself to go. I just anxiety wise was not dealing. And I didn't really know I was not dealing with it. Like, I just sort of thought that this is what everyone with anxiety feels all the time. The thing I'd say I struggled the most with in junior and senior year, mostly senior year, I think, was panic attacks. Just full-on, like, can't breathe, super dissociated anxiety attacks. Are they the same as panic attacks? I don't know. Please tell me because I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, there was a time where I was having panic attacks every week around a certain event that realistically I should have taken as like a sign from the universe to like maybe take a second and take a break from them, that group, and reset myself but I just didn't want to because that and I kind of drove my mental health into the ground by trying to hang on to this thing that at the time was really unhealthy for me to be participating in and I don't 
blame anyone but myself for that, for not knowing my own boundaries. Or, no, I knew my own limits, but I didn't respect my own limits. I would feel right before going to this meeting that I was so overwhelmed and not in a space to go to the meeting. But there I was, every week. It got to a point where I was having so many panic attacks in the hallway of an academic building that I have a spot in this building that if I go there, I will have a panic attack. I got like a mental association, I don't know what those are really called, with like that space and anxiety. And so that's really cool and awful, but a thing that happened. I honestly, like, wasn't taking meds at that point. I wasn't compliant, at least, to medication. Maybe I took it sometimes. But I definitely didn't take it, like, as I was supposed to. And it really took a long time and a lot of uh, relationships exploding before I realized, like... You can't live this way, Mason. You can't do it. You're going to lose everyone because you're just being stubborn and refusing to treat yourself properly. It wasn't until senior year when a friend who will be a future guest on the show just straight up, like, told me I was not okay. Which was a very weird conversation. Because, like, I knew I was not doing great, but I kind of had this idea that, like, somehow nobody else knew. Don't ask me how I was so in my own world that I thought I looked like I was nailing it. absolutely did not, but that's what I thought. And we were in my apartment, and she just straight up was like, you're not doing well. And I know this, and, like, it's time to, like basically be an adult and take care of yourself but it came from like a place of so much kindness and like concern in a way that didn't feel like she was parenting me that it clicked at some point and that's when I finally went to the school psychiatrist which was its own disaster but I at least was taking steps towards being medication compliant and like trying to figure this out at least somewhat I didn't really see a lot of progress when I was seeing the school psychiatrist, but a lot of that was because I was medication jumping like no other. I think I was on like seven medications in one year, which is entirely too many. As soon as I would mention a side effect or a concern, they would pull me and try a new med, which is not the tactic that psychiatrists typically use. And was obviously causing medications to not really work all that well. It wasn't until after graduation when I started seeing a new therapist, who is my current therapist, that we actually talked about how medication works and, like, I took the steps to go back on meds. And it's been a journey. I've been on a bunch of different meds. I think I just now find the right cocktail of medication for me to be functional. But it took several years, like probably five years at least, to figure out like what the meds were, what I was needing help with necessarily. 
and I don't really know y'all just be patient if you're medicated and it's not working because you can find the right cocktail of meds it's just I like I know it's hard but please try to take your meds I have always struggled with med compliance in any sense like even I don't know what kind of sense but I've always struggled with med compliance like right now I'm probably going the longest of being medication compliant that I have been in my adult life and it's probably about four months now that I have taken my medication without like intentionally missing doses so that's a huge step in the right direction towards you know wellness but a huge thing that's helped me the most out of anything is uh, this new treatment that I started about a month ago now called transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's essentially kind of like an MRI for your brain that you do every single day and it uses the magnets to help simulate the part of your brain that has depression and help your other side of your brain that causes anxiety chill out. And it sounds like some spaceship science. It sounds so weird, but it's worked really well. I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through treatments now. And I feel like I can breathe. I'm talking to people about cutting my medication down, which has always been something I've wanted to do. Isn't right for everyone, but it's something I've wanted to do. And that's a huge step. Like, I've truly felt functional for a few weeks now, which is something I don't think I was ever feeling before. But yeah, TMS. It's this robot science that somehow uses a magnet to calm your brain down. I'll post pictures of what the machine looks like. And it's life-changing. It was life-changing for me, at least. I went to, like, the appointment, and the doctor was like, oh, a 75% reduction in symptoms. And I, like, didn't even know what that meant. Or, like, how I would feel if I had a 75% reduction in symptoms. But I've experienced quite a bit of improvement. And it's important to me that people, like, know the treatments out there and that you don't have to just like be on meds and be kind of low-key miserable because that's always how I felt on medication it was like you know trading symptoms for side effects you know all that fun stuff so there are other options talk to your doctors obviously I'm not a doctor don't don't take any of this as medical advice I'm not a doctor I don't really know any doctors please I'm not an expert by any means but I do I think it's important that people know that alternative treatments are out there and are an option. And that, like, for me personally, it's worked very well. And so, I don't know, TMS is an option and it's helped a lot. And I'm talking in circles, but I really want people to know that, like, things can be good, which is a dumb thing to say. But, like, I don't really think I understood just how numb I was from the depression or how soul like shakingly anxious I was 
until it started to get better. And maybe that's super obvious. Maybe it's a dumb thing to say. I don't know. But I don't know. I just want people to know that that's an option. And insurance covers it a lot in the United States. So, like, it's an option. Ask your doctors. I highly recommend it. And I don't know. That's what I got to say about that. So that's a 20-ish minute version of my mental health story. And obviously obviously this episode is more comprehensive than like detailed. So it's just kind of like a quick overview of what's going on in my head. If you have questions, feel free to email me at disabilityhonestlypod.gmail.com. Or find me on Instagram, Disability Honestly Pod. Uh, Twitter, Disabled Honesty. I'm out here. Find me. Ask me questions. I'll answer. Email. Maybe I'll answer them on the podcast. I haven't decided. Depends on the questions I get. But that's my story on mental illness. And I just wanted you all to know so that you could understand sort of what I'm experiencing and where I'm coming from. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, and we'll be back with all new content next Friday.